Awesome. So as we get into uh, chapter 15 of the book of Romans, if you guys remember last week, if you were with us last week, we, we went through uh, some of the verses up to verse 7 of, uh, of chapter 15. And, and, and Paul and I was addressing the church on the topic of Christian unity. Right? And he began by, by, uh, by pointing out the fact that there's, there's certain things in the body of Christ which are secondary issues, which a lot of times the church divides over. Uh, things that, uh, things that, that have nothing to do with salvation, things that have nothing to do with, with uh, our, really our, our personal walks with the Lord, right? uh, as far as uh, who we are in Him. But just these secondary issues that the church sometimes divides over. And Paul was addressing these things and specifically to, uh, uh, to the Jews and to the church there at Rome because it was a divided church. right? It was a mixed church. A lot of them were made up of Jews and Gentiles. So one of the biggest issues and the only issue that he addresses really is uh, uh, pertaining to food. Right? Nowadays, man, we have a whole list of other issues that, that are secondary issues that the church divides over, unfortunately. Back then, all the, the only thing Paul had to address was food, right? uh, dietary laws. And so Paul was addressing the church who was being divided over uh, certain people's uh, uh, um, tastes and likes and what they would eat, what they wouldn't eat. And, and Paul would say, hey, you know what? All these things that we are dividing over, they're secondary issues. Right? They have nothing to do with our salvation and they have nothing to do with our relationship with the Lord, right? And he would, he would exhort the stronger believer, those uh, believers who are not kind of tripped up about these certain things. He would exhort them to not look down upon the weaker believers or the ones who, who, who were kind of convicted about those things. And he would then exhort the, the weaker believers, the ones who, who were convicted about these certain foods, to not judge the stronger believers, the ones who were partaking in these things. He said, look, man, he says, uh, the goal here is unity, right? It's Christian unity. And so as he addresses these things, he says this now in verse 7 of chapter 15. He says, therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. And now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. To confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes a few verses there, but we'll stop right there. And so Paul, again, as he's on this topic of just Christian unity, right? Unity within the church. Unfortunately, today, I mean, the church is so divided. Right? And, and, and there's so many things that, 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 uh, that, again, that divide the body of Christ. And Paul would say, he says, look, receive one another, right? Instead of dividing over these secondary issues that have nothing to do really, that are really not important in, in light of eternity, right? You, do you think when we're on in heaven, when we're rejoicing in the presence of God, you think we're going to care about what we look like down here, what, how he dressed, what he ate, uh, what uh, uh, parties he went to, what um, uh, special days or holidays he chose to celebrate or not celebrate? We're not going to care. We're not, not going to matter, Right? We're going to be rejoicing in the presence of, of God the Father right? and with the Lamb for all eternity. These things are not going to matter. Right? And so Paul says, hey, therefore, receive one another just as Christ also has received us. Right? And the question is, how has Christ received us? Right? When each and every one of us has come to the Lord, how is it that Christ received you? Did He do it grudgingly? Did He do it hesitantly? Did He do it skeptically? I don't know about Him. You know, kind of, all right, I guess I'll take Him in. But keep, I'll, He told the angels, hey, keep an eye on Him. No. Right, but we see that, that the Lord received us with open arms and really in grace. In grace, justice, mercy, and truth. Right? And so Paul says, hey, receive one another just as Christ also has received us. That's in grace. He says, to the glory of God. And again, because he's addressing a church that's, that, that, that's divided between uh, Jews and Gentiles. Again, and these Jews were, were even in, in some senses thinking that they were above the Gentiles because it was to them that, that the Messiah was, was born through. And so he would say, look, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant 
to the circumcision. That's the Jewish, the Jews. He says, for the truth of God. Why? He says, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And so Paul says, look, Jesus, the Messiah, came through the Jewish lineage. Why? Because God had promised it and God had, had made it that way from way before. Right? He had promised it to the fathers. He had, he, it had been prophesied that way. And so God's promises had to be fulfilled through Jesus, right? being, born, being born through the Jews. And he says, verse 9, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And so Paul is saying, look, even though the Messiah came through the Jews, he says God had a twofold purpose. He says the Messiah was going to be born through the Jews, but not specifically just for the Jews. He says, but God in His twofold purpose was desiring to reach the whole world, that is, the, the, the Gentile world. And that term Gentile just means non-Jew, which is every other nation you know, and, and people group apart from the Jews. And so Paul would say, God's purpose is twofold. And then to, to back up what he's saying, he's going to quote from uh, three different parts of, 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 of their Old Testament uh, writings. The poetic books and the Psalms, the Old Testament law, they're in Deuteronomy, and also their, 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 their prophets from Isaiah. And so we'll say this, I'm continuing in verse 9, he says, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. He says, As it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Quoting from Psalm 18. And then again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. Quoting from the law there in Deuteronomy. And then again in verse 11 he says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you people. Right? And then uh, again from Isaiah, quoting, he says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. And so Paul, again, as he's just exhorting them in Christian unity, he says, Because the church of Christ, because the body of Christ is made up of so many different people, right? Jews, non Jews, all kinds of different people groups, he says, You are to be united, right? And you're not to let anything divide you. And, and, and just in case any of those Jews were skeptical, uh, were skeptical about that, uh, about that, that unity, and, and, just be, and just in case some of them were kind of inclined to, to separate themselves from the Gentiles, he said, look, he says, God had already wrote about them way before. He had prophesied that, that salvation was going to come to the Gentiles. And he's quoting from Psalms, Deuteronomy, and, and Isaiah. And so he says in verse 13, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and with all peace in believing. Says that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 14, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brothers. He says that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and you're also able to admonish one another that has built each other up. He says, But nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. Because of the grace given to me by God. So that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God. That the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, he says, look, he says, I trust that I know who I'm writing to. I know you guys are, are, are mature in the Lord, Paul would say. I know that, 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 that you're able to abound in, in all knowledge. I know that, that, that you're full of goodness, right? You're full of knowledge. I know that you're able to build one, reach, uh, one another up. He says, but I'm writing this to you just to remind you. He says, just in case you forget. He's saying, right? He says, I'm writing this to remind you, right? And he says, nevertheless, he says, I've written more boldly to you on some points. And as we go through, through the book of Romans, as we have, man, we get to some chapters where we think, man, Paul's being kind of harsh here, right? And some would even kind of be offended by some of the things that, that he said. And, and, but Paul, he's saying, look, I, I had to write to you guys more boldly because you know more, right? And, and we know that, that the Bible tells us that the more truth we know, the more we're held accountable to. And so Paul's saying, look, because 
you're so mature because you know all these things because you know you you're you're you're, uh, you're full of knowledge because you're, you're all these things is i have to address you more boldly right but notice how notice what he says doing it in grace right because of the grace given to me by god right? and i love that about the apostle paul that anybody reading his letters back then even as we're reading it now we would have known where all this was coming from and it was from a, a place of grace right uh his words were seasoned with grace as he was Addressing certain things in the church as he was uh, correcting certain believers as he was, you know, being bold and, 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 and touching certain topics. Right. His words were seasoned with grace as, as he needed to be. And so, again, he's telling them, because you know more, you're held accountable to more. And therefore, I have to speak to you straight up. He says, I can't share your code. I have to tell you straight up that you guys are wrong. You're, you're causing division. Right. You're not walking in the will of God. You're going contrary to God's law, to God's word. He says, that. so I have to tell you boldly. Right. It's out of love. And so he goes on to say again, he says uh, in verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so as, as, he's, as he's fulfilling his ministry, uh, Paul, later on in the book of Acts, right, he would say uh, that his calling that he, he received from God was to the Gentiles. Right? God, uh, Paul's heart was to preach to all the Jews because Paul was a Jew himself. He was... He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? Studied under, under the, the best teachers from a young age. He, he was brought up in the, in the, in the school right, of, of, of the prophets, right? In the school of, of, the, of, the, of the scriptures. He was taught by the best teachers and yet his heart was for the Jews. But yet when he got saved, the Lord called him to the Gentiles. And so he would, he would call himself a prophet to the Gentiles. And so he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Interesting that that word minister that Paul uses here in the Greek, right? It's like, it gives the idea of uh, this priesthood. And so Paul's saying, it's like I'm Jesus' priest to the Gentiles, putting himself in that position. Not that he's an actual priest, but he's saying the ministry, this is my calling. What God has called me to do is I consider myself like a priest to all the Gentiles, right? Ministering uh, on Christ's behalf to them. And, and, and given that he's using that picture of, a, of, of the priesthood, he says, Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so as he's describing his, his ministry and relating it to the ministry of the priesthood, he's saying it's like I'm Christ's priest to the Gentiles. And my offering as a priest, what I'm bringing to God to offer him is the Gentiles. Right? And so it, it talks about the careful care that he had in building them up and teaching them and shepherding them and, and, and telling them God's truth and exhorting them right, and just and building them up. He says, because they're like my offering. He says, I'm like a priest to, to Christ. And the, and the Gentiles, my ministry, he says, it's like my offering. Right? And we know, according to Old Testament law, we went through Leviticus, we went through, through Exodus. And as we're going through the whole Old Testament law, we know that for the priest to offer uh, something to the Lord, that offering had to be perfect. It had to be spotless. It had to be without blemish. It had to be literally perfect. And Paul saying, man, that's my aim. My aim is that this ministry that God has given me, that I would just give it back to Him, offer it back to Him, spotless. Spotless. And, and I love the heart of Paul because it's the heart of a shepherd. It's the heart of a shepherd. But the truth is that God has entrusted each and every one of us with our own little ministry. Whether it's your home, whether it's your family, whether it's your wife, whether it's your kids, whether it's whatever sphere of influence God has entrusted to you. My encouragement is that we, we would all have the same heart of Paul saying, Lord, I'm like a priest to you and this is my ministry and this is my offering. And Lord, what you've given me, I want to be able to give it back to you. Perfect, spotless, without blemish. Right? That was the heart of Paul. And that should be our, our heart as well. And so he goes on to say, 
Then verse 17 says, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. He says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. He says, In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the, of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to uh, Illyricum, I have come, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so Paul's saying, Look, I take joy in this. He says, This ministry that God has given me, he says, I take joy in it. Right? He says, I take joy in it. We all know that, man, ministry gets hard. Right, and if you're a ministry man, you're going to get hit. It gets hard. Things are going to hit you from all ways. But there's no greater joy than, than knowing that you're walking in the perfect will of God and knowing that you're doing what God has called you to do and you're fulfilling your ministry. So Paul would say, man, therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Right? And so he wasn't despising his ministry that, he had give, that God had given him. He says, no, he says, this is my glory. Because I glory in God because this is what he has given me. Right? And I'm giving it back to him spotless. I'm like his priest. He says, this is what I glory in. Right? And so he says, so Paul says, I'm not going to talk about anything that God hasn't done through me. He says, I'm just going to tell you about what God has done through me. He says, in that, I glorify God. It's not that he was bringing attention to himself. But he's saying, man, look, this is what I glory in. What God has given me to do. What I'm fulfilling. What, it, what I'm being obedient to that he's called me to do. He says, man, he says, I'll boast about these things. Right? He's glorying in them. And he says this. In verse 20, he says, and so I have made it. My aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard, says, they shall understand. And so this was hearts, Paul, uh, hearts, Paul. This was Paul's heart, right? To preach the gospel, to preach the name of Christ where the name of Christ had not been preached before. He was, uh, man, he liked to do all the hard work, right? All the dirty work, right? He was a church planner. And we know that in the book of Acts, man, we have accounts of his first, second, and third missionary journey, how we would go to the different cities where the name of Christ had not been named, where, where, the, where the gospel had not been preached. And his heart was to plant churches, right? His, plant, his heart was to preach the gospel, was to tell people of Jesus uh, to those who had never heard of him. And he says, I make it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Right, let's have, I should build on another man's foundation. And really, that's, hard, that's our heart as well. Right? We weren't planning a church if there was already a Calvary Chapel in City Terrace. Right? Because our heart is to name the name of Christ where the name of Christ has not been named. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm not going to take credit for what someone else is doing. He says, I'm not going to let someone else do all the hard work and I'm going to come over and take over. He says, no. He says, I'm going to go in and says, I'm going to do the first works. Right, for those of you who are in construction or you're familiar with construction, you know that the most important part is building the foundation. But sometimes the hardest part, right, sometimes the hardest part. I was listening to a study by uh, Pastor Chuck. It was somewhere in the C2000 Old Testament. Uh, and I forgot exactly what book it was, but any of you, he was uh, telling the story of when they bought the property in, in Marietta. Now, they sold it already, but if you're not familiar, uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa used to own this huge, huge, huge Bible college. And Marietta, it's a, it was a beautiful place. If you never got to go there, man, it was, it was so amazing. Uh, it was a Bible college. that they, they, It was like an, in, an in-house, so people would go live there. They had all kinds of retreats there. I mean, it was just gorgeous, right? It, it had natural hot springs. And so he was telling a story when, when they first purchased the property. He said that they, that they drove by one day. It was just a huge, empty, just a hill and mud. And it was just a huge, empty lot, right? So they bought it. He had a vision to, to, to build the, the, the conference center there. 
And he said that, uh, that they got all the permits, they got all the blueprints, they started doing all the work. And then when they started digging to, to establish a foundation, I guess there was something wrong with the, with the soil, right? The soil was, was too wet, it was too muddy because of the hot springs. So it ended up taking longer than it should have to just build a foundation. So he said that for a couple of years, you would drive by and so that he would tell everybody about this awesome conference center that they're building and, oh, it's, it's awesome, here are the pictures, here's what it's supposed to look like. And people would drive by and all you would see was just a huge empty lot of just dirt and mud. And for years, people would drive by and it was just a huge empty lot of dirt and mud. But the point is that he was saying, look, it took a longer time to build this strong foundation, right, because of the type of soil. And sometimes... I mean, well, we know that's the hardest part, right, is to build the foundation in any single building. But right before the ending goes up, and the hardest, the first part, the most important part is the foundation, right? Without a solid foundation, man, the building's going to go like this, or it's going to crumble. An earthquake comes, something happens, it's, it's going to fall, it's going to come tumbling down, right? And now eventually, I mean, man, they eventually they, 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 they got to build the foundation, and, and afterwards, man, everything else was built up on it, and it was beautiful, right? But that was the hardest part. That was the... Hardest part, and that's the part that took the longest, was the foundation. Everything else, man, within a year, a couple years, it's done. But the foundation is always the hardest part. And so Paul would say, man, he says, that's what God has called me to do. To break the ground, start digging, to do all the dirty work, to get my hands dirty. Paul would say, man, that's what God has called me to do. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. Lest I should build on another man's foundation. So Paul's heart was to build the foundation. He was the one who got dirty. He was the one who did all the dirty work. All the hard work. Says, again, but as, written, as it was written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard, he says, they shall understand. He says, for this reason, verse 22, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. Again, he's writing, as he's writing the, the, the letter to the Romans, he's writing from the city of Corinth. Right? At that time, he hadn't visited Rome yet. But his heart was to visit Romans. His heart was to one day go preach the gospel in Rome. And he's telling them, man, because there's just so much ground to cover, he says, that's why it's taking me so long to get to you guys, because there's just so much ground to cover, right? Again, he's writing to a church that has already been established in Rome. He himself has never gone to Rome. Somebody else established that church there in Rome. Somebody else went and preached the gospel. And he says, look, I want to make it to you guys, but there's so much ground to cover. There's so many places where, where the gospel has not been preached, and I want to hit all those places before I get to you. So he says, for this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. He says, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. He says, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. He says, I'm going to come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. And so we see that his heart was to go to Rome, right? To be with the church there at Rome. And he had plans to go to Rome. And I, I love this because we see, we're getting insight into the heart of the apostle. And he said that he was making his plans, right? If he had a calendar, I could just imagine his calendar, right? By this day, I'm going to be leaving Corinth. Uh, I'm going to be in Spain at this day. And so I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go, here's my map. And I'm going to travel to Rome, spend a few days there with the church there in Rome. And then eventually I'll make it to Spain. So his heart was to go to Rome. And he did eventually end up going to Rome. But not the way he thought. Right? He thought he was going to go freely with probably uh, Timothy, Titus, Luke, some of the other guys that were always with him. He thought he was just, it was going to be like another mission trip and he was going to go there, preach the gospel, stay a few days, and then move on to Spain. That was his plan. But the Lord had different plans. Right? And the Bible tells us in Proverbs that man in his heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Man in his heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And God had different plans for Paul. God took him to Rome, but in chains. Right? He went as a Roman prisoner. 
where he would spend the rest of his life and eventually be beheaded for, for his witness to the gospel. And he says, For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. He says, It pleased them indeed. And they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And so we get now to, to the, the, the latter portion of Paul's letter and, and about to finish up now just with chapter 16. And Paul now, he's like, he's giving his goodbyes. He's like, all right, as he's writing this letter, right, he's just saying, all right, uh, he got to the whole doctrinal part. He got to the part where he's encouraging him. And now he's just saying like his final goodbyes. He says, look, I hope to see you soon. Uh, here's my plans. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He says, one of the churches uh, gave a big offering for the church in Jerusalem who was struggling. So he says, I'm going to go there first and then I'll go visit you guys. Right? He says, it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And he says, therefore, when I have performed this and I have sealed them, this fruit, he says, I shall go by way to you, he says, to Spain. But I know that when I come to see you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, as I was reading this, knowing his outcome, because keep in mind that Paul, he's writing this, he doesn't know what was going to come. He, again, his plans are, man, he's happy, he's full of joy, he's saying, look, I'm going to see you guys soon, and I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And I could just imagine Paul as he's there being uh, chained to a Roman guard, knowing that he's being held prisoner, knowing that he's been falsely accused, knowing that his life is probably going to come to an end soon, but knowing also that it was God's perfect will. He didn't lie, right? And God fulfilled it. Paul did go to them in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And I love that about the Apostle Paul, that he accepted anything that God allowed to happen to his life. I've said it before What God allows us To happen in our lives right? the, the things that we go through The things that That, that, that maybe come our way The things that man, you, you start feeling like Man Lord Why would this happen Whatever happens in our life If we surrender our lives To the Lord Jesus Christ And to his will Know that whatever happens to you At first has to go through The filter Of God's love Right God is sovereign He these things are going to happen And him and his love And his sovereignty And his mercy And his grace And his love for you Allow this to go through that filter and to come into your life. And so Paul embraced that. Paul embraced that, right? And he still went to them in that fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And he says in verse 30, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be accepted to the saints. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I love this about Paul that, man, him being the Apostle Paul, number one church planner, the guy who, uh, uh, you know, God has used more you know, in the history of the church. He's still saying, look, man, I need you guys' prayers. Just pray for me. Just pray for me, guys. He says, I, he says, I beg you. He says, I beg you, brethren, through the love to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that you strive together with me and prayers to God for me. Right? He wasn't above asking for prayer. He wasn't above, you know, thinking, oh, well, I, I got this, or, you know, hey, man, I have, I'll get the apostles to pray for me. I'll get Peter to pray for me, or John, or, or you know, or, or one of the other guys. He said, no, man, he says, you guys pray for me. 
right? And he was somebody who was dependent on the prayers of God's people. And for any ministry, for anything that's done for the Lord, man, it is dependent upon the prayers of God's people, right? Apart from the prayers of God's people, I mean, it'll be impossible. I mean, man, I'm thankful when people tell me, I don't know where the people have been praying for. Man, thank you, man, I feel them. People come up to us all the time. I haven't seen them like, hey, bro, I've been praying for this. I've been praying. Man, man, thank you. Right? Sometimes it's those prayers that are just carrying you through those hard seasons. It's those prayers of, of, of different people who are just uh, uh, interceding on your behalf that are, that, are, that are getting you through, right? Some of these we go through, we're like, man, I know someone's praying for me because they're all sad. I would have been dead. Like this, for example. Right? Those prayers. And, and that's Paul. That man, he recognized the power of prayer. So much so that he would say, look, I beg you. I mean, he's not saying, hey, man, we get a chance if you have any free time. Uh, no. He says, I beg you. He says, strive along with me in prayer for me so that I may be delivered from those in Judea. We know through the book of Acts that there were a lot of uh, Jews there in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea who hated Paul because they considered him a traitor. And they considered him a traitor to the Jews because he was preaching Christ. And because he was preaching Christ to the Gentiles. They were considering him a traitor. They were considering him a backstabber. They were, a lot of them considered him dead. They tried to kill him on multiple occasions. One time they stoned him. They, he was unconscious. They thought he was dead, so they just dragged his body out of the city. He was just unconscious, so he woke up. He's like, man, oh, all right, got to go back and preach the gospel. That was Paul. That was Paul, man, Mr. Indestructible. And so he's saying, look, I, I beg you to just pray. He says, pray with me and pray for me, right, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. And he goes on to say now, there in chapter 16, I love this. He says, again, as he's kind of just finishing up his, his letter here, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in St. Crea. Now, many people believe that it was actually this, this woman, Phoebe, who was, who was the one that was carrying the letter. Right? And so as she was carrying the letter to, to, to Rome, and she was on her journey from Corinth to Rome with Paul's letter, Right, the, the person who she would deliver it to, they would go reading it, and then they're like, you know, they're probably asking, well, who are you anyway? And at the end, they're like, hey, I commend to you, Phoebe. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, all right, cool. So the apostle Paul's backing you up. He's saying, look, man, she's, she's a sister in the Lord, but she's a faithful servant. And I love this because again, he says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Saint Crea, says that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need needed for you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and also of myself also. I love it because this is the only mention we have of this woman named Phoebe. Nowhere else in the Bible, nowhere else in the, in, in the New Testament are, are you going to hear about this, this, this woman Phoebe. Like the only mention of her is right here in, in Paul's letter and it's in his, his closing statements. Right? And, and I love that for the rest of the history of the world. Right? We don't know anything about this woman Phoebe except for she was a servant. Right? That she was faithful. Right? That she was a helper of many. And also the Apostle Paul. Man, what, a, what an awesome reputation. What a way to be remembered. What a legacy to leave behind. Right? And I could just imagine her as his church is, as his letter just being circulated around the church. Oh, man, that's me. That's Phoebe. Right? If someone else will get the letter. Like, oh, you're the one that Paul was talking about. You're considered a helper. You're considered a servant. Right? Paul would say, man, she's, a, she's been a helper of many and of myself also. I love that about her. Because for the rest of the history of mankind, she was going to be remembered as Paul's helper, as a helper of many, and as a servant. Many people seek out, you know, different things to be remembered by. Right? Sermon, 
a way they speak, a way they speak you know, uh, maybe certain talents, certain gifts, certain, I mean, events. I mean, everybody wants to be remembered for something great. And this woman, Phoebe, was remembered not for something great, but for her servanthood and for the way she served others, not just Paul, but, but others. And, 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 I, and I love that because that should be each and every one of our aim. Interesting that the word servant there in the Greek is the word diakonos, which is uh, translated in English to deacon. And it's used about 31 times in the New Testament. Uh, sometimes it's used to refer to a pastor, a shepherd. Other times it's used to, 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 to refer to a, a person in a position of authority in the church, a deacon. And other times it's used to describe a servant, like in this instance here, Phoebe. So it's believed that Phoebe was actually maybe somebody in, in a position of authority and there in the church of St. Crea. Not that she was a pastor, but that she was maybe working in some type of office or she was in the, in the office of, 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 of some type of um, leadership there in the church. And I love that. I love that because we see that man, that, that God, had, God has a place for everybody in the body of Christ. Right? And God has a place for everybody in the church of Christ also. Right? And especially women. Right? Um, man, it was, it was women who were ministering to the Lord as he was going on his three and a half year journey through Judea and all of Israel. It was women who were bringing him food. It was women who were you know, uh, uh, providing for all their, all their needs, him and all the apostles, all the disciples. Right? And, and in, a, in the first century where this would have been culturally just backwards. Right? And yet here's the Lord right, uh, being helped by these women. Here's the Apostle Paul right, who's commending Phoebe for being such an awesome servant. We're calling her, you know, this again, deaconess. And again, just this awesome legacy that, that Phoebe is leaving behind. And I was reading this, and I was like, man, if that's all I'm ever remembered for, just being a servant of Christ. Not a title, not pastor, not church planter, not this, this, that, the other. Man, who cares about that stuff? Right? The only title that God's going to recognize is that of servant. Okay. The Bible tells us that when we go to heaven, That our only aim is to hear the words of Jesus saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's it, man. That's the only work that the Lord recognizes is that a servant. And again, in a day and age where people strive so hard for positions, for titles, for I know, all these different things that don't matter. Prophecies. And yet Jesus said, Hey, the greatest one among all of you shall be the servant of all. And unfortunately, we have it so backwards. We think, man, there's a person up here teaching, or there's a person over this ministry, or there's a person who's on TV, there's a person who's on the radio, there's a person who everybody knows. All right, we go to conferences, we go to all these different events, and man, everyone's aim is just to make as many connections as we can, right? to be known in as many circles as, as, as possible. And yet Christ said, hey man, our aim is to be called servant. Even in leadership, the only leadership that God recognizes is servant leadership. Right? Serving one another. Jesus is the last thing that he did to his disciples before he was crucified. There in John chapter 13. We're told that man, he girded out his girl, he took off his outer robe, and he got a bucket of water. He said, alright guys, line up, I want to wash your feet. Right? Taking the position of the lowest servant in the household. And again, he says, For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. 
And I think about all these people who have been a help to us. Man, when you're in ministry, when you're just desiring to walk with the Lord and you're struggling, you're going up and down like this, man, the best person to have by your side is a helper. Somebody who's going to come alongside of you and encourage you, teach you, exhort you, show you the right way, who's going to help you in whatever it is that, that, that you're endeavoring to do for the Lord. That's the best person to have by your side. And I, I feel the words of Paul saying, man, she's been a helper of many, instead of myself also. And he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, is who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Notice there's another power couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul says, they're my fellow workers in Christ. We're introduced to them in the book of Acts for the first time. Right? And we're told that Priscilla and Aquila, first they took, they took in a man by the name of Apollos, who was a man who was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament, like the back of his hand, and he was mighty in the scriptures. And he was going out there, and he was preaching repentance, and he was preaching the baptism of John. And then when Priscilla and Aquila ran into him, they're like, hey, uh, they heard him preaching the 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 the, the, the the baptism of John, they, were, they heard him preaching repentance. They heard him preaching the, 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 the scriptures. And they're like, hey, did you know that the Messiah came? Right? And we're told that Priscilla and Aquila, this, this beautiful couple for the Lord, we're told that they took him into their own household and they taught him the ways of the Lord more accurately. Man, amazing what God can do through a couple who just surrendered to the Lord. A marriage that is just fully uh, available for God to use. And this was Priscilla and Aquila. Right, that, that Paul would say, hey man, greet them. Greet them. He said, they're my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but they risked their own lives to save mine. He says, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Man, we don't know exactly what they did. Right? We don't have any extra biblical, extra biblical information that tells us you know, all of their missionary journeys or all of the, the things that they did. Right? I'm sure there's a book in heaven somewhere written with all of their works for the Lord. But Paul would say, look, man, I thank them. And all the churches, the Gentiles, thank them. This was just a couple who went around uh, making themselves available for God to use. And he says, likewise, greet the church of, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epanias, who is, my, who is the first fruits of Achaia. This is to Christ. This is greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners. And that they were Jews also. This is who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. And he says in verse 8, he says, Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. He says, Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. He says, Greet Herodian. Greet uh, my countrymen. Meaning he, he was Jew also. He says, Greet those who are of the household of uh, Narcissus, who are in the Lord. He says, Greet Tripina and Triposa. He says, Who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. He says, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, and I don't know how to say those names, but verse 15, Greet uh, Philogus and Julius. He says, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. He says in verse 16, Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Right? Man, I get this unity that Paul's expressing. And he was able to name so many people by name. <laughs> He says, hey man, say what's up to this guy. Oh man, is he still around? Hey, say, tell him I said what's up. Hey man, give him my, you know, give him a big hug for me. Hey, tell this guy I said hi. And this, there's this beautiful unity in the body of Christ. And Paul's saying, look man, make no distinction. A lot of the guys that he mentioned there were Jews and Gentiles. Right? Greeks, a lot of them have Greek names. And yet he's saying, look man, they're all in the same church. Just greet these guys. There's really no partiality. 
right? And he says this in verse 17. He ends his letter with a very strict, very harsh, very open warning. And he says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they're serving their own belly, meaning they're serving their own appetites. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they're deceiving the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Interesting that before he finishes his letter, okay, he gives him this warning. And he says, look, man, he says, I urge you. He says, note those who cause divisions and offenses which are contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. He says, and avoid them. Right? He would write, as he was writing to the church there in Galatians chapter 1, he would warn him and he would say, man, he says, if anybody else comes in preaching any other gospel other than that, than that which you've heard from us, he says, let him be accursed. And then he mentions some few verses again. He says, again, if anybody comes in, if an angel or another apostle or a prophet or anybody else comes in preaching a gospel other than what you've heard, let him be accursed. And that word that, that Paul uses for the word accursed in the Greek, it's a Greek word, anathema, which means let him, literally the definition of that word accursed, anathema, is immediately, excuse my language, immediately damned to the darkest place in hell. That's what it means. And Paul would say, if anybody comes in preaching any other gospel, if anybody comes in preaching any other doctrine, man, let him be a curse. And Paul was zealous. Paul was jealous for the pure gospel, for sound doctrine, as we all should be as well. And someone asked me, hey, how come you invite this guy to come teach? How come, you know, we don't, I mean, I'm very careful about, about who, you know, I, 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 I invite to come teach. Right? I wouldn't invite just anybody because I want to know, well, one, because I'm going to be held accountable for this flock and because I want to know that no one's coming in bringing false deceptive doctrine and that was Paul's heart he was saying look I urge you those who are bringing in division through different doctrines he says avoid them he says people like that he says they live to serve their own appetites they don't care about you they don't care if they're going to a church they preach false doctrine the believers get all twisted up in their doctrine and their theology and they're left like wondering like, well, what do I do am I saved am I not saved am I going to go to heaven what does this mean for me they're going to go they're going to preach their little thing get a little following and go on their way they don't care about the believers they don't care about the body of Christ Paul would say man they're selfish they're serving their own appetites right? he says that they, they deceive people through their flattering words through their smooth smooth words and he says, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Right? Meaning that we don't have to go and learn all these false doctrines in order to be able to detect them. No, but be strong in sound doctrine. Right? Be strong in sound doctrine. You don't have to go in there and know what, what all the false teachers are, are preaching or teaching in order to, 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 to be aware. No, instead just know the truth. Right? Be built up in the truth. Be strong in the truth. Be strong in the sound doctrine so that you'll be able to detect the rest. He says, be wise in what is good and be simple concerning evil. That's a good standard to have. And again, he says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And he says, the final words, verse 21, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and uh, Sopater, says, My countrymen, greet you. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Meaning that Paul was dictating it and someone else was writing it for him. 
right? Maybe a lot of people uh, argue that, that Paul's vision was not as good, you know, towards his latter years. Um, but it was actually the, just the, the normal custom of the day that, that when somebody was writing a letter or somebody, they would always have someone uh, to, to, to write it out as somebody was dictating. I would be speaking, and then uh, it would, someone else would be writing it. Right? It was common. And so Tertius, who was writing, he says, hey, by the way, I'm writing this. And <laughs> what's up? Says, who wrote this epistle? He says, I preach in the Lord. He says, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Cordus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Again, amen. And then he says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now is made openly or manifest now is made open and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all the nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith he says to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever amen and to that I say amen <laughs> Father God thank you so much Lord for